Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the one and only Maya Culpa podcast, now on the Midas Touch Network. So look for the blue banner for this and all future episodes of our show. One more quick thing, there are just a few tickets left to come and see me live and in person at the City Winery on December 9th at 2 p.m. My special guest will be the superb journalist Katie Fang, and we will be taking your questions after the show. So seriously, folks, check out citywinery.com for tickets or more information. And now on with the show. It was nice while it lasted, but as of Friday, the bombardment of Gaza has resumed. Israel is now focused on southern Gaza, calling for evacuations before bombing neighborhoods. But where on earth do these people even go? Speaking at the United Nations summit Saturday, Vice President Harris said Israel had the right to eliminate the threat of Hamas. But she also repeatedly said Israel needed to do more to protect civilians in Gaza. Too many innocent Palestinians have been killed. As I'm sure you know by now, the war began on October 7th when Hamas fighters stormed the Israeli border and killed over 1,200 people and took back to Gaza more than 250 captives. But new and damning details are beginning to emerge, claiming that Israel knew for over a year that a Hamas battle plan called Jericho Wall existed. But they, for whatever fucking reason, largely ignored it. The fact that Hamas then followed that plan to the letter, it's devastating. Leadership on both sides of this conflict, not necessarily speaking for the people of the region. Hamas has not held an election in 17 years. Can you imagine? Not an election in 17 years. But let's face it, Hamas is a terrorist organization. And the Israelis have been protesting against Bibi Netanyahu, Israel's Donald Trump, for years. But the push to remove him was never greater than right before the October 7th attack. And I can't imagine the Israelis like him any better now. Vice President Harris said that the goal of the United States now is to build regional consensus and accelerate plans for Gaza after the fighting stops, citing five principles guiding the U.S. approach. No forcible displacement, no reoccupation, no siege or blockade, no reduction in territory, and no use of Gaza as a platform for terrorism, she said. And speaking of war, let's not forget about our friends and democratic allies in Ukraine. They, they are still fighting to save their freedom, and God bless them. They will have not, nor will they ever, surrender to the Russians. But the likelihood of a victory for Ukraine dwindles as the war drags on. Russia simply has more troops to throw at the problem. And Ukraine is running out of money, out of ammunition and time. And here at home, Republican support of Ukraine has come to a screeching halt because Trump wants it that way. He has famously said that he could end the war within 24 hours, which essentially means he'd let Moscow keep a chunk of Ukraine and Zelensky would just have to suck it up. Another reason why Trump can't win in 2024, but I'll argue that Trump's support of Putin and Russia is why Ukraine is in this fight to begin with. And now, after years of Trump screaming about the Russia hoax, according to the Washington Post, it appears that Trump, or at least his lawyers, aren't willing to admit that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. So why? Well, the answer is because they are desperate. They are desperate to put together some sort of a defense in his D.C. election interference case. Trump's team is now saying that it was Russia and not Trump who destabilized the elections. In a court filing last week, Trump's attorneys insist, I mean, it wasn't Trump's fault that people thought 
the 2020 election might have been stolen, it was instead the Russian interference effort in 2016 that had people worried. So worried that they stormed the Capitol. Yeah, I mean, it's flimsy as fuck, but like I said, the Trump team is desperate, so they'll sue or say anything. Last Friday, Judge Tanya Chutkin let Trump know in no uncertain terms that he is not a king and that he cannot do whatever he wants before or after he's president of the United States. Because guess what? There is no such thing as absolute immunity from criminal prosecution. And I quote, Donald Trump is not immune from prosecution for his attempt to subvert the 2020 election. I mean, no matter what Alina Hababababadaba wants to say about this, there is no such thing as absolute immunity for a president or a citizen. Trump's four fucking disastrous years as president do not serve as a shield against charges that he sought to defraud and disenfranchise millions of Americans. And according to Judge Chutkin, the duties and responsibilities of the presidency have nothing to do with starting an insurrection. In her ruling, Judge Chutkin specified that, and I quote again, a former president's exposure to federal criminal liability is essential to fulfilling our constitutional promise of equal justice under the law. Hey, Helena, Alina, you hear that? Constitutional promise of equal justice under the law. Trump will definitely appeal the ruling, which will most likely end up before the Supreme Court. And Judge Chutkin didn't say it, but at this point where Trump was directing a mob to storm the Capitol, he should have been overseeing his move out of the White House. I mean, seriously, can you imagine if Trump had just gone peacefully, where would he be today? Well, we'd be a hell of a lot better off, I guarantee you that. And now for the main event. For the first time, we welcome Olivia Troy to our show. Troy, who considers herself a McCain Republican, is a national security official who has worked on homeland security issues at the National Counterterrorism Center, the U.S. Department of Energy, the Office of Intelligence and Counterintelligence, and the DHS. She also worked for former Vice President Mike Pence, and while serving on the Coronavirus Task Force, she famously parted ways with Pence over the administration's response to the pandemic. Olivia is here to share her unique perspective on Capitol Hill, so let's go now to that conversation. Hey, Olivia, hey, look, it's great to have you on the show again. So look, there's so much going on. Let's just jump right into it. Do me a favor. Tell us. What's the Cyber Threat Intelligence League? They call it CTIL. And if you would explain to my audience why the censorship industrial complex was activated after the 2016 election. Hi, Michael. Nice to see you again. Uh, look, a great question. Um, this is a whole effort uh, that has come up before the weaponization of the federal government committee, as you know, uh, that Jim Jordan is... Chairing. Um, I was not a member of uh, whatever Justice League this is, uh, as, as, you, as you might want to call it, um, at the time. And I, I was in government for 20 years. But um, it seems that there is a theory out there where they believe that the government has been basically in cahoots with the social media companies, has been bullying them, has been intimidating them into censoring conservatives. On social media, that is that is really what's really driving behind this um, is that that is the belief, and they've taken emails uh, from people, they've taken uh, conversations, chats. I guess um, the thing is, uh, they haven't ever actually bothered to really ask the individuals in these scenarios or the emails and have these conversations with them directly about the context around that and what was happening, and so. I attended the hearing this week, um, as you know, uh, to provide testimony as someone who was actually in the federal government as Mike Pence's Homeland Security Advisor. And I talked about when I did actually call social medias and request 
that they consider taking something down. Now, what I just said there is the key, right? Consider taking something down because ultimately it's up to the social media and their internal policy to decide what they're going to leave on their platform and what they're not. And because it is their first amendment, right. But it, you know, in this scenario with this GOP committee, it's first amendment rights when I guess convenient to their narrative, depending on how they spin it. Right. And that's really kind of how this committee played out. I, I have to tell you, one of the most interesting moments was when someone was going off about someone in the Biden administration, apparently emailing a social media company. And I said, look, I mean, I wasn't there. You should ask that individual what was meant by that, what the situation was. I then, and then I gave an example. I said, look, in my situation, when I called a social media company, I actually can remember a, a scenario where I did. And I requested that brutal ugly, horrific photos of a U.S. missionary that was killed in Africa be taken down so we could notify the next of kin because they were they were circulating all over Twitter, all over Facebook, and the family uh, hadn't been notified yet. And it was being used by the conflict there by two opposition figures in Cameroon. And the ambassador called and said, hey, this is actually creating a diplomatic situation for me as well. And the missionary that was killed was actually the brother of a Republican Indiana legislator. And that is how that whole connection happened. But, you know, the thing that I tried to stress in that was when I called, I had no idea. I didn't know. It Ultimately, the call was up to them, whether they were going to remove them or not. We requested it. I hoped. I mean, nobody wants to have a family live that and see that horrificness circulating. Um, and that was a hope. But ultimately, it was up to the platform. But here they did not want to hear that. They were not. They were not having that. Um, they were not exactly pleased with me me bringing that up. But the other thing that I thought was interesting was that the Canadian journalist who was testifying laid out a litany of things that she is so angry about the Canadian government about, and how she uh, she called herself a time traveler, which was also interesting. And she said, you know, picture me as a time traveler of what's to come in America. At some point in the hearing, I looked at her and I said, everything you described is everything I lived under the Trump administration. I mean, she discussed like using the courts, the judicial system, which never came up on the Republican side. And yet you and I both know how that was used against you. Um, yeah. So it's funny that you say that because first of all, I don't want to say you went before the house judiciary yes, committee, correct. correct? Okay. And Jim Jordan or I should say Jim Bag Jordan, is the chair of that committee as well. Correct. Interesting, though, he may have gone to law school, but he never took the bar exam. All right. So, you know, like many people go to law school, I guess so that they could become a member of Congress or, right, to call themselves, to have a JD after their name. I, I don't know what it is. But it, somewhere at some point in time, there's a purpose that Jim is trying to, to create. And I believe that the purpose is to try to find that iron side or that, uh, that gotcha it. moment. To those who don't remember the television show Ironside, at the very end, there was always this big revelation and that was the end of the case. He was hoping to find something that would prove this weaponization of the Justice Department by the Biden administration against his supreme leader, Donald. And if he doesn't get it, it's almost like all just throw as much shit against the wall as you possibly can. Try to spin it so that you do come out with the win in hopes that. Donald to give you a pat on the ass and say, you know, good boy, Jim, good boy, right? Because I do truly believe that Jim, with all the nonsense that he's doing, is vying for a cabinet position in the White House in the event that Donald, God forbid, a million times should pull this off. I think he'd probably like to be chief of staff, or, you know, he certainly can't be attorney general because he's not a lawyer, um, though not really sure why he's the chair of the judiciary as a non-lawyer, a guy who's never practiced. You agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. He's certainly doing the showmanship in the circus in his favor to show just how 
committed and loyal he is. Uh, and you and I both know that loyalty is only one way when it comes to Donald Trump. So it'll be interesting to see the thanks that he gets in the future. Um, should Donald Trump return? Hopefully not. But I could see him definitely. I mean, either that or he's vying for a cabinet position. Can you imagine what it would be like to have Jim Jordan as Secretary of Defense or something like that? The peril that we I can't imagine. I can't imagine Jim Jordan is the chair of the judiciary or the or any of these other committees that he's sitting on. I just don't. I don't understand this guy at all. But I want to talk for a moment about the so-called Twitter files, right? And the fact that why even did Jim Bag Jordan drag you? Why drag you in for this weaponization of the federal government hearing before the House of Representatives? I mean, there's so many people. If you really want to bring someone in, bring in Elon Musk. Right. Or bring in the head of threads. Or how about even more so? Why don't you bring in the head of Truth Social? Well, it was interesting, you know, because um, I was actually on the Dem side. I was a Democrat witness as a Republican, which was even more comical. Actually, Jim Jordan acknowledged that the fact that he said that the Democrats have a Republican witness, which is fascinating to hear Jim Jordan himself say this. But I was brought in, though. Because I actually have served in the federal government. And that's something actually that uh, Congressman Lynch, um, the Democrat from Massachusetts, said in his remarks to them. He said, so there are millions of people that serve in the federal government, yet you brought back the same two witnesses that you brought back, brought up the first time to give almost the same testimony. And you haven't called up any of these other people that might be relevant to really getting to whatever this is that you're trying to get to. He's like, except for we have, we they had me, who the one person on that panel who actually served in the federal government, who was trying to explain at times when the scenario was played out, what happened. I talked about terrorism, by the way. I talked about the fact that like terrorist use of the internet was often a subject of discussion. We had roundtables with social media. But even then, the discussion was like, well, in the United States, we have the First Amendment and we are limited in how much we can... Uh, advocate, even when it's a violent uh, live streaming, like the Christchurch shooter, right? He live streamed that event. It was horrific. And that kind of propaganda also leads to other potential violent events. We saw, we saw the mass shooting in El Paso where the shooter referenced some of these theories. Uh, we saw it at the Poway Synagogue in San Diego, where he actually referenced a Christchurch, Christchurch shooter. So these are the things that I was trying to like bring to the table and say, if you actually want to have a real conversation about internet and social media, we can talk about this. The other thing that I actually raised, Michael, was let's have a serious conversation about weaponization of the federal government. And I went down a, just a few of the things that Donald Trump did in his presidency and said, this is what the future looks like, um, whether it was withholding disaster relief from a state that did not vote in his favor, a blue state per se, like California, withholding wildfires assistance. I talked about uh, the travel ban and how they try to override intelligence assessments. I know that because I was on the receiving end of them bullying um, and trying to push their false information and trying to include it in assessments that was actually, that's not how intelligence works. Um, and, you know, we talked about the censoring media. Donald Trump has been calling. He still said he's coming after MSNBC. He recently said that, right? He called for the death of the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That's the real weaponization of the federal government against the people. And and as you know, I mean, you you have dealt with this yourself where the Department of Justice has been involved in your scenario. I think, you know, there are other situations where the Department of Justice was uh, pulling people's phone records, journalist phone records. Remember that scenario where they where they pulled their phone records? I sure do. I mean, what is happening here? I that sure is, do. That is an authoritarianism kind of event. Um yeah, but I don't think there's anybody else other than me in this country so far, and I use that word so far, who was unconstitutionally remanded to prison because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. I mean, the fact that they're going in and looking at phone records, um, it's Putin-esque. I mean, it's exactly what you know, a Kim Jong-un or a Mohammed bin Salman does. These, these are, as you stated, absolutely authoritarian ideas. And this is how they conduct business in their country.
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash Cohen and get on your way to being your best self. And because the end of the year is always tough for me, especially the past few years. I struggle with seasonal blues and most probably because of PTSD I developed over the past five years. The stress it has caused me and my family can only be described as overwhelming. So this time of year can be a lot and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. But adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you tools to manage everything going on. You see, I'm very fortunate to have the support groups that I have, be it from my family, from friends, and even from loyal listeners of this show. But what if you don't? So speaking to others about what's on your mind and troubling you is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. What does it do? It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma or some hardship. So everyone needs someone to speak to, myself included. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. That's better, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp.com. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Cohen today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Cohen. What I don't understand is I get what Jim is trying to do. And I understand you being a Republican brought in by Democrats, of course, has to upset him because anybody that tries to change the narrative of what they're trying to effectuate is clearly the enemy, right? I just don't understand. There are many people, and this is not to take anything away from you. Oh, yeah, I know. In fact, you should be, I mean, you should be honored that, you know, that they decided to bring you back to talk about the same thing. I just don't understand that if you really want to talk about social media, why not bring in people from social media? I mean, that's not what you did for the federal government. That wasn't your that wasn't your job. No, I was a Homeland Security and counterterrorism advisor. I was worried about bad things happening to people, things going boom around the world. And the right. <laughs> I mean, it's a, so here to bring you in regarding, hey, you know, let's, okay, great. Okay, let's bring Olivia in to talk about, you know, Twitter and social media and using that to weaponize the federal government. I, I mean, I don't even understand. Did Jim, did Jim schmuck Jordan? Did he provide a single document or a single piece of evidence that would even justify the committee having this yeah, hearing? they did their showmanship. They pulled up, actually, I know Rep Massey pulled up a tweet. Um, he lost me in his rant. I think I actually was responding to him. I thought he was referring to a previous comment, which I think they've now distorted and taken out of context about me. But what it was, is that he basically, like, um, he held up a, a, a tweet that he would put out. Um, you know, he's... Uh, uh, oftentimes the spreader of misinformation and disinformation on COVID, um, which is what he did quite often. And that's for Rep Massey. And he uh, would put it up. But the examples that they give, um, some of them actually never got taken down, which was even funnier. Um, that was the irony. They were talking about these posts. And then uh, the interesting part was was Congressman Dan Goldman comes back and he's like, uh, you're talking about a scenario that actually ended up never happening. They reviewed it. The social media didn't take it out. So, I mean, this is the kind of ridiculous in circus, but it doesn't matter, Michael, because they got the sound bites, right? I didn't bother to check what was going on in OAN or Newsback or Fox News. I'm sure I've, I've been, you know, uh, trolled. I've certainly gotten the phone messages. It doesn't matter because they got the sound bites. And I say that 
because I got, you know, actually I got a, I got a, I got a, a fascinating voicemail from this lady. Uh, you know how it is. <laughs> Those are always the most interesting oh, yeah. voicemails. The interesting thing in her voicemail this time was that she actually, like, I feel like I should play it for you. Like she actually talks about how they're going to come after me legally. And she's, and she's, well, <laughs> that, that's because they're again, following, they're following exactly. Trump's stupidity, but the, and what she's doing is she's looking at the fact that he sued me for $500 million, of course, didn't have the balls to follow through with the lawsuit. But, you know, this is what they do. They then bombard you with litigation. It, it, you know, look, Dan Goldman is one very bright guy. I mean, I've had many opportunities to have, you know, spoken with him when he was uh, involved with the impeachment and with some of my hearings that he took, um, that he took the lead as counsel, uh, as, you know, as counsel. But it's funny because even when I sat um, on the stand for the attorney general's case, I remember like Alina Haba sitting and saying, well, when you were convicted, I said, you know, she goes on and blah, 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 blah. And she's yelling and screaming. And I'm, and she's like, yes or no. And I'm like, no. And she goes, wow. And I'm like, no. So she goes, how could you say no? I'm like, because I was never convicted. I pled guilty to a one-page information on a Monday after being notified of it on the previous Friday, 48 hours in advance. And then the, you know, the audience that was there, they started to chuckle because they don't give a shit about the truth. Truth and Donald are, they're, they're polar opposites. Yeah, you know, and every time. All they want, as you said, is the soundbite. Yeah, absolutely. And when I, uh, the interesting part is they were, they were, they were frustrated by me when I pointed out some of the examples about Donald Trump and talked about Donald Trump. Um, they were like, this is not a committee on Donald Trump. Several of the Republican members said that. Um, but I wanted to say, but it should be if you're talking about the weaponization of the federal government, which is why I was talking because I've got, I was like, I live this. I saw this firsthand. If you, you know, if you really want to talk about this in a bipartisan way, let's have a serious conversation about the current, like leading Republican candidate for the GOP nom and what he did and what he is planning to do in the future with the federal government that is unlawful, that is unconstitutional, but you know, that that is and by the way the funny thing is that wouldn't even be you making up hypotheticals about what donald intends to do all you are doing is regurgitating what he has already said he's going to rewrite the constitution not michael cohen saying it not olivia troy saying it that's Donald saying it. The first thing he's doing is rewriting the Constitution. Another thing he said is that he's going to change the tripartite system of government. No more judiciary. No more House of Representatives. No more, no more Congress. It, no more legislature. There's going to be all power conferred to the executive branch. And, as you said, he's, he wants to execute Mark Milley. Joint Chief of Staff, he's going to be your vengeance, not his vengeance, it's your vengeance, right? He's going to go after journalists, politicians, member, other members of, you know, of Congress, uh, judges that ruled against him, Supreme Court judges. He's going to go against civilians like what he did to me. How many times have you heard me, Olivia, say, both on camera, like with this show, other shows, and when you and I would just sit down and have a cup of coffee, that my intent and why I do the things that I do is to ensure that what happened to me, the unfucking constitutional remand of Michael Cohen back, you know, on December 14th, um, we're going before the Second Circuit here in New York, the unconstitutional remand of me back to solitary confinement. Because I refuse to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. It, it's already being taught in law schools. It is, not, it is not Joe Biden who did this. It is Donald Trump who did this. And I don't want to see what happened to me happen to anyone else. It is miserable. The, the, the PTSD you suffer, the, the anxiety, the stress, the, you know, the, just 
the shredding of your soul from it. It is everything opposite of what you started to learn in third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade about United States Constitution and constitutional rights. He's going to strip us all of them. Yeah, and he's going to have an entire government of loyalists given what they have planned with Project 2025, which I'm sure you're familiar familiar with at the Heritage Foundation. Oh, yes. Which is frightening. If you go through and you read through that, it's frightening. And why? And the reason it's even more frightening to me, Michael, is I know the people that are writing it. And I also know yeah, that me too. Uh, some of these people were in the Trump administration and I know what they did. Right. And the, and the things that the thing is that they've learned, they've learned from that round one and they learned and they have perfected their craft, which is why this is so dangerous because I know that every day you wake up with purpose and you are out there and you are warning people that would happen to you. You're trying to prevent that from happening to others. And you're exactly right. And I think that is what drives many of us who've been outspoken is we have lived this and we know what this is and we know the danger that lies ahead. And we are, we're going right towards it. Um, and there's still, there are so many in the Republican Party who continue to do his bidding, um, case in point, this committee, right? And so, I mean, those are the things that actually in the discussion, I feel like should have been brought up. And I, and, you know, I tried to bring it up. One of the things actually that I, that I thought was interesting, they didn't, they didn't really like this example, was that I said, look, uh, Florida is, you know, has been, has voted, voted for Donald Trump. They are looking pretty red now. And uh, just to be clear, Ron DeSantis is one of his enemies right now. He's a political opponent. Should Donald Trump come back into office? Should there be a hor- horrific hurricane in Florida? Think about the fact that there's going to be someone with a whole circle of enablers, loyalists, who are not going to release that disaster relief because he's going to be angry at the person who's the governor of Florida and he's going to penalize Americans, everyday Americans who are in need after a horrible situation like that. Think about scenarios like that because that's what's coming. And it's not going to be about the average American living in that state and what they're suffering from. It's going to be about the vendetta against someone that he hates, right? Because that's how he operates. That's how he makes decisions. Yep. I mean, that's why he didn't yeah. allow it the California wildfires. Yeah, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who. It does. It doesn't. It doesn't matter about the citizens, even the ones that voted for him. It's the fact that his anger, his hatred towards Ron DeSanctimonious, right, is so great that he's willing to punish the entire state of people in need simply for his own gratification. That's the epitome of a narcissistic sociopath. But I want to then move on and ask you this. You think that journalists and supposed free speech advocates like um, Michael Schellenberger or um, Matt Taibbi are being honest with the public? What's what's their angle as you know it? I mean, it seemed like they had a very one-sided narrative where they have, you know, pulled uh, certain documents and treasure troves where they believe that they can say that they can show this weaponization that happened and they are adamant that there is censorship and they're, you know, they try to flip the script on everyone. They, they, they try to claim that they are the big believers in free press. You know, they, when pressed actually, it was interesting. Uh, They were questioned and said, so how do you feel about terrorism? You think like what Olivia talked about, you think that those, um, do you think those images should stay up? If you're a believer that everything should be stay up and we should not be censoring anything, then what's your argument for that? Are you okay with these violent acts being out there? Are you okay with supporting terrorist propaganda, foreign terrorist organizations on social media? Is that is that freedom? Is that is that First Amendment? What what is that to you? And of course, then they got a little bit like, no, no, we don't support terrorism. Like, I mean, but but they had just argued the complete opposite of it should be completely free and open. Um, and that it's targeted and all of that. And so it was just interesting to hear that, you know, I heard one of them, they were advocating for the abolishment of CISA, a department at the Department of Homeland Security. And I, I kind of wanted to be like, you idiots. I was like, you don't even know what CISA does, clearly. You don't understand that they actually work on critical infrastructure protection, which, by the way, 
protects like, you know, when there's like the hijacking or cyber attacks on gasoline companies or things like that, like electrical grid, like these are all or our power, power grids. grids. Right. right. I mean, so you're going to abolish an agency that works to protect us from that, that works with the Department of Energy. I mean, that that's your plan because you are adamant that there is this cyber army that's in cahoots co- coordinating that that is that is anti conservative voices and republicans by the way they kept stressing that they are now, you know they are they're they're two democrats uh former democrats trying to help this scenario cuz they feel so terrible that conservatives and republicans are being censored and i'm like it was just you know <laughs> who are they uh, i mean i'd love to hear all of this like so did they did they say who these people are? No, they are? went down the list. I mean, uh, you know, some of them, like Rep. Massey, I will tell you, went off on me, and he said, "So you believe members of Congress should be censured?" I, I never that I, that's not what I was saying, but I will say I was thinking to myself, if you're spreading disinformation, the answer, but why, why not? But, but but Olivia, I'm sorry, but why not turn around and say, yeah. Yeah, there are things that even members of Congress should be censored. For example, promoting the big lie. How about censoring that one? All right. How about how how about that one? Or how about and since you're a Republican, I of course being a Democrat, I would have turned around and said or promoting Hamas. Yeah. A terrorist organization. Well, How about censoring that? Would you not say that 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 is something that members of Congress should be censored on? I mean, that was a thing. That would be that would be having an honest conversation, a productive conversation. Uh, that's not what productive this was. for sure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, and on top of that, I would have also thrown in, you know. What I'm sort of reading into your question is more than just the free speech and so on. It's also a term that a lot of members on the right side don't particularly like to hear, and that word is called transparency. (laughs) So if hypothetically you're so into free speech and everybody being able to do and say whatever you want, Hunter Biden wants to appear before a congressional committee, unlike the chairman of this committee, by the way, who refused the subpoena, refused to testify. But that's not really that's that's a whole nother story. However, he wants to be transparent. And if I can do it again, I'll do it with air quotes. Transparent. Right. That doesn't seem to be what your side of the aisle is interested in. How do you distinguish the two? No, it's complete lack of transparency is what it is. And it's, 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 I would say also at times it's transparency of convenience, right? But there hasn't been a real discussion on that. Um, So, I mean, it just goes to show that this is ongoing. I mean, look, they held George Santos finally accountable this week, right? That was, that was unbelievable. That was yeah. incredible. I would say that uh, George Santos is basically Donald Trump, Donald Trump being 10 million times worse, but did all the things that Trump has done, right? <laughs> Somewhere along the way, cheated, bribed, stolen, lied, whatever. Uh, we all know. So, uh, but there's been no accountability. Why? Because they fear him and they're loyal to him. They didn't fear George Santos. That is probably the only reason right. that they held him accountable is that they didn't fear him at all. Yeah, very, very true. So, look, I want to go back to Jim Bag Jordan again because, I, look, I really have disdain for the guy from literally when he was the assistant coach of Ohio State, ignored uh, the charges that of sexual abuse to his, you know, to his athletes and so on, and all the way to when I appeared seven times before congressional committees. Most people aren't aware of that. I testified seven times before Congress, only once was it public. But what kind of a leader would you say that Jim Begg is? Because he was he was supposedly going to be the guy, right? The guy without the jacket who was going to unify the Republican Party. In your opinion, how do you think that's going for him so far? No, he's, I mean, he is one of the worst of the worst, right? He represents probably the worst that MAGA 
MAGA is. He's like the poster child for it. And I think, you know, I think he's dangerous because I think he does these sham committees to help spread their own propaganda and fulfill their own agenda and loyalty to Trump. I think he's one of his henchmen. We saw what he did on January 6th. We know he was like one of the main leaders for that. We saw what that led to. We saw the violence that it led to. Um, Yet nothing, nothing has been happened to Jim Jordan, right? I mean, nothing. There's been no accountability for him. In fact, I think he feels empowered. The only thing that happened is that Thank goodness he didn't get the Speaker of the House, right? Thank goodness. Can you imagine him? That was one of my biggest... Which just goes to show you he's not nearly as popular. He's certainly not a unifier, but he's not nearly as popular with the party as he thinks he is. He might be popular with Donald. But see, here's the thing that Jim doesn't understand. And Jim, since I know that you listen to the show, let me sort of give you a little bit of advice. While you're sitting there and providing fealty to Donald, 100% loyalty, because you've made a complete asshole out of yourself again and again and again. When the push comes to shove, the only thing that's going to get pushed under the bus is going to be you and the guy standing behind you, pushing you underneath that bus is going to be Donald. And then you're going to turn around and you're going to bang yourself in the head And you're going to say, what the fuck was I thinking? I've seen Donald do it to everybody. Everyone. From Michael Cohen to to Mike Pence to Mark Meadows. He wanted Mike Pence to get hung. Who do you think you are? You think you're special? You're not special. You're, You're disposable. Yeah, I mean, just... Look, can we go back to George Santos for a second? Because obviously, you know, after that incredibly damning report and he was voted out by a plus two thirds majority. I mean, look, not only did he defraud the voters to get into office, but based upon that report, guy is a absolute fucking career criminal. So the question I have for you, why didn't the Republicans properly vet this guy before they I mean, ran that, him. That is the wildest part, actually. I mean, that, that this is the candidate they chose to run and they backed him. And I think that shows, I mean, that's how we end up with the sort of Republican Party that we have right now, which is a horrible thing, right? I mean, I was looking actually, I was looking up the committee uh, when I was testifying and I was looking at where Liz Cheney should have been sitting instead of that uh, insane woman that sits in her chair now. And I was thinking about it, and I actually said this to him, um, you know, we were talking about threats and harassment of people being doxxed. You know how that goes. Um, We've both gotten the death threats. And I talked about that. And I was like, you know, it's really, it's really unfortunate and just really upsetting that there are decent public servants, decent former Republican members of Congress that chose not to run for reelection because they didn't want to face the death threats that they were getting because they voted to convict Trump during that second impeachment because they voted against him because they were honoring their oath to the constitution and following the rule of law. And they chose not to run again because they didn't want to put their families through it because they were already being harassed. They were upping their security. I mean, this is what, what happens at stake. The fact that I had to, you know, I actually at my security testifying before this committee, cause I knew I knew that it was going to get heated again and I was going to get the harassing phone calls and threats and just, you know, brace myself to see people showing up at my house. Um, You know, and that's that's the environment that we're in that they cultivated, that people like Jordan and others created uh, with with Trump. Right. That is that is what has happened here. And it's just, you know, so here we are. We ended up with George Santos serving in, contra- con- in Congress. And now, you know, yeah, it was a historic moment that they actually voted to remove this idiot. Um, but again, why are they garnering support and backing individuals like this? I mean, there's, there's, there's no, there's no way it's that, but not only do you have people like Santos, but then you have Santos's biggest backer, Elise Stefanik. Right. And I scratch my head. I scratch my head sometimes so hard as a result of watching the news or reading these reports. I, sometimes I'm, I'm bleeding. Right. I mean, why? Elise, 
why, when the evidence against him was so damning from the very fucking beginning. One, he's not Jewish. Number two, he didn't play volleyball for Baruch. Three, you can go on and on. Forget it. And the evidence is so damning against him. No normal person, no reasonable person yeah, but you know what they saw? would turn around and said, hey, I got to back this guy. I mean, you're so right when you say, like, you look at the seat that, um, that Liz Cheney, you know, um, used to occupy or Adam Kinzinger, right? I mean, for God's sakes, Adam Kinzinger was a, was a veteran. There's a guy who put his life on the line for the country and because he wouldn't go along with the big lie. And what did Trump do? He, they went out against him and his base was strong enough within which to get the guy removed. I mean, and so instead, what do you get? You get Elise Stefanik. You get, you get the Matt Gaetzes. You get the George Santos. You get, I mean, give me a fucking break already. I mean, this is who America wants to have that congressional pin. It's almost like a joke. And it doesn't just harm the citizens in that district, right? The Americans in that district or the constituents in that district. It harms all of us in the end because these are voting members on legislation, Right. Things that are going to impact the entire country in many ways. And you have some this like delusional guy, this criminal crook sitting there um, doing this. But, you know, I think what they saw was opportunity. Uh, they back him another opportunity to manipulate an individual that's going to do their bidding. Those are the kinds of people that I think that they want. Those are the kinds of people that they are going to back in future elections. Right. That where they think that they can control them. They're going to follow the party line, even if it's, you know, a sedition, conspiracies, whatever it is. They want loyal soldiers in the Republican Party to run for Congress so that they march together. And that is one thing that the right does very effectively, I'll say. They band together and it's very hard to break through any of their messaging because it's a machine. They they work closely with the right wing media, the far right media, the RNC gets involved. It's one big machine that rose together. Okay, but, but, since Trump won the election in 2016, he has basically been the catalyst of the party losing race after race which after is race. I mean, they've, they've which is, <laughs> insane, right? So my question to you, I mean, my question to you is, why do you think that the Republican Party hasn't quit him or Trumpism yet? Instead, they stick with him. And it does, again, 2024 is going to, once again, if history repeats itself, and God, we all hope that it does, they will then lose again, 2018, 2020, 2022, and they will lose 2024. And there's a, there's a really good chance that the House will end up switching back to Democrats. And that way we can get rid of Jim Jordan. I mean, all of these real committee hearings that they're trying to people like Dan Goldman, uh, Moskowitz, or Jamie Raskin, right? That they want to bring forward to the American people that would give answers to things that we are entitled to know. It's going to be another loss as a result of the party, Republican Party, refusing to quit Trump. So my question to you, why? Yeah, I mean, look, I ask that every single day because he is so damaging to the Republican Party, but he's a poster child for it. And you know what? He raises money. He raises money. He raises money for the Republican National Committee. But they're money. losing, Which Olivia. Insane, right? I don't care how much money yeah. you raise. What's the point? What's the point to raise money if you're not winning your, if you're not winning your race? I mean, I don't know how many times they're going to go through this and not not actually learn their lesson. But it clearly they they don't want to rattle their base and they believe that that is where the GOP is. And it shows that they're just out of touch. They're out of touch with the average American that's out there and they're pandering to an extreme arm of the party that has basically hijacked it. And I mean, and so you know what? They deserve it. They deserve to lose. Great. So they have money in their coffers, right? They have money in their coffers. 
for Botox only fans, right? Hermes and, uh, you know, uh, whatever else the guy ended up buying, you know, for himself. But you're losing your race or, right, you're going to start. I think you're going to see more people like Santos get, get tossed out. But the funny thing is, Olivia, you and I both know Donald better than the average person. And the funny thing is Donald legitimately has no regard for his voter base. In fact, again, I don't want people to think, oh, it's Michael Cohen making shit up about Donald. Here's what Donald said about this specific voter base. I like the poorly educated. It is a slightly nicer way of saying I like stupid, uneducated people because, right, he could pull the wool over their eyes. He can't. And they're... You've heard him say stuff like that behind closed doors, as has uh, as have I, right? I mean, he does not relate to these voters at, no, all. Not at all. So my question is, why the hell are they sticking with him? You know, I think I think it goes to the effectiveness of this propaganda machine. Unfortunately, um, I think he's very effective at at selling himself as the champion for them. I think they like the renegade. Um, I, you know, I think they like the fact that he is like, damn everyone, uh, you know, um, he, you know, the deep state narrative is very effective with these people because they're angry at the government for whatever reason. And he uses these types of things. But the sad part is he has such like disgust for them. And he expresses this, right? Like so many people that have worked for Donald Trump or been around him. We've all heard what he says about these people. And he really just detests them. He wants nothing to do with them. He doesn't want to be in the room with them. Um, but yet, he it they feed his ego, though, right? That's what they serve. And so he, it, it's like this bizarre thing where he has this army of followers that he can't stand. He wants to never really be associated with them. They were with. The, I mean, do you think he, he doesn't want these people down at Mar-a-Lago? He doesn't even want to shake oh, their no. hands. He walks around with no. these alcohol yeah. swabs after he well, touches. So look, Olivia, people, I have his words. two. Disgusting is what he says. Yeah. Yes. Disgusting. I have. So look, I have like two questions really left for you. And this is one that deals with your old boss. Because I really want to talk about Mike Pence for a quick second here. He is likely to be a star witness in Jack Smith's D.C. election interference case. It's set to begin in March. And that, of course, interferes with the case I'm supposed to be a key witness in, and that's the Manhattan District Attorney case. But now that Mike Pence is not running for president, you think that he'll finally tell the entire truth about Trump? Or is he going to continue to be selective in what he says? Is he going to continue to try to protect his old friend, which, as you know, Donald never considered Mike Pence a friend. But do you think that he'll finally come clean, tell the entire truth about Trump? I think under oath, um, especially, I think I think he will. I think, I think he'll tell the truth. Um, I would hope. I mean, I don't know that he has anything more to lose. He didn't, uh, you know, succeed in his, his run for the GOP nomination. Um, I think that was part of the reason um, that he withheld a lot of it. You know, I was really disappointed in the fact that he didn't, um, that he wasn't more outspoken about everything in the lead up to January 6th and, and the aftermath of it. Um, that has been one of the things that I felt like he could have changed the trajectory of the way things went in the Republican Party. And I think we'd be in a better place as as a country. But, and so I I hope that he will. I mean, you know, it's been it's been awful just to kind of see quite frankly, some of the cowardice of Mike Pence, um, although he did do the right thing on actually that day and certifying the election. Eh, I, mean, I, I, mean, I, don't, like, I don't give him as much credit as but some it's, people. Um, yeah. but, it, but it is cowardice to say that he was worried about hurting Donald Trump. I think there's reporting re- that just came out this week about that and how he was concerned about it. And, you know, crossing, I know that he was scared of crossing Donald Trump um, I saw that multiple times, but it just goes to show sort of the dynamic of these individuals with Trump and like why they live in fear of him, um, which is, just- you know, what, you know, can I, can I, can I jump in and say something, Olivia, because this, I so agree with what you're saying. Mike Pence could have been a transformative figure for the Republican Party early on. He, 
Look, there are things that he obviously knew that were going on, did absolutely nothing about, and there comes a point in everybody's life, mine included, that you have an epiphany and you move past whatever that you have done for whomever you have done. He could have been that transformative figure, not just for the Republican Party, but for America. And I think the fact that he has not done so, for me, it kind of makes me think that the GOP is beyond repair. Well, I certainly don't see the GOP going back to traditional conservatism anytime soon. I think that that I think the old GOP no. is is dead. They're gone. It's- and the new and the new GOP is unfortunately Trumpism. So look, Olivia, my last question to you. It's an easy one because it's about you. You've been elected to be the and congratulations on this, by the way. So you've been elected to be the executive director of the ninety-seven percent. So for my listeners, all right, what is the ninety-seven percent? What is the mission, and how can people get involved? Because I know if you're involved in something, that it's got to be big. Thank you. Yeah, we're so we're a foundation that really focuses on reducing gun deaths by including gun owners in the conversations and bringing them to the table and really actually doing the research that's required, uh, talking to gun owners and actually finding the common ground on red flag laws, universal background checks. I think a lot of the time um, gun owners get painted in a broader paintbrush about the fact that they're, you know, that they're not going to support these types of things. They're not going to support this type of legislation. And it's actually, we're finding like, it's not true. I mean, we all, think that we deserve better. We don't want to live this way. And so it's really about that. We also, I think one of the more most unique things is that we also invest in technology. Um, for example, we take, we invest in like smart, safe, smart holsters um, for guns and with, mm-hmm. um, with also technology like apps with a smart holster. One of them is called Vara Safety, where it notifies someone that someone is accessing that safe and accessing the gun um, with so many suicides, especially especially in the veterans community that happened, most um, men, most of the gun deaths actually are suicides, which is tragic. It it, it allows um, that app allows for notification of a loved one saying that an individual is accessing the gun, and the hope is to prevent, hopefully, prevent suicides and make a difference in that way. And so we are really just looking at this from a more holistic point of view of how do we save more lives um, by by, by really actually uh, educating people about uh, responsible gun ownership. And also, you know, I know that people, uh, P- the NRA gets a lot of the focus, right? And they are, um, and, but the reality is that they're a small minority of representation of how gun owners actually feel and what's really happening here. And so the goal is to really focus on states and educate people. And also to educate people about the laws in their states, right? Like when there's a red flag law, what does that mean? Uh, and also making sure that law enforcement is enforcing it in a way that is that is productive and that we're making a difference every single day. Okay, but so tell my listeners, how can they get involved with 97% sure. on top of that? On top of that, before you even go into that, I just want to say, because, look, I used to be a gun owner before I had the felony. I'm going to go for my license to carry. I had one of a thousand concealed licenses in New York, and I went through a tremendous background check. I had to do, federal, I had to do a FBI uh, threat assessments against me. I had to justify the reason, especially in New York City, to have a concealed. We have undoubtedly, and it cannot be argued, an epidemic of gun violence in this country. The problem that I always see is that Republicans have turned the issue of gun safety into a Second Amendment rights argument, instead of just dealing with it like a public health crisis, which it is. And I just don't understand. When did Republicans become so pro-gun? In fact, Donald hates guns. 
I sat in his office as he bowled out Don Jr. and Eric for shooting animals. Oh, you big tough guys, you take a $10,000 rifle and you put a bullet in a fucking leopard's head. You know, big tough guys, why don't you kill it with a knife? And Don Jr.'s like, yeah, I'd kill the animal with a knife, right? Eric is like, you know, you're out of your mind. But it's true. When did Republicans become so pro-gun? Donald is not pro-gun. He's not pro-Second Amendment. He doesn't, until this, he didn't even know what the Second Amendment was. All of a sudden, he's the champion of Second Amendment rights. I mean, I don't get it. Well, the thing is, too, uh, what is sad about this issue is that it has become so incredibly politicized. And um, gun owners, they're, they're, they're not just Republicans. They're Democrats or independents. I mean, it crosses the gamut, right? Which is why we are, we're so focused in having more productive conversations. And I, you know, I, I, you know, given the, the makeup of the Congress right now, especially with MAGA being so much of a, a sort of um, a stronghold right now in Congress, that's really unfortunate because what we've also heard is that there are actually Republican members of Congress who are potentially know that this is a problem, that know that this is a very big challenge. Um, but the thing is, as you know, they will only leap and move forward on something if they do it together. And one of them by themselves is not going to stick their neck out. Right. I mean, and I mean, we saw like Senator Cornyn voted for legislation. He actually championed legislation right after Uvalde. And I give him full credit for that. Um, but he was attacked yep. for it. Right. I mean, he was criticized um, and, and that's how it goes. But he did the right thing. Um, and we're going to need more people like that to come together on it. Now, the only way that's going to happen is when we get rid of Trump and Trumpism. You know, I said in my book, Revenge, Trumpism is fascism, and it must be eradicated from our body politic. If not, I hate to say it, like the Canadian that thought she's a time traveler, the country's in serious trouble. But Olivia, it's always so good. Congratulations on being appointed the director. You keep me in t- keep me posted and I want to continue to help you to promote it because I am a firm believer that this country is in a gun violence epidemic and I stand with you on that one. And I want to thank you for joining me on Maya Culpa and definitely going to need you back again. Going to need to hear from you. Thanks for having me. Good to see you, my friend. And now for today's Maya Culpa. It almost makes me laugh to say it out loud, but the same idiot who said he'd go peacefully if expelled freaked the fuck out his way out the door, crying, and I quote, to hell with this place. I'm talking about who? Yeah, George Santos, of course. I mean, if that's the name he's using today. For only the sixth time in United States history, the House of Representatives voted to expel one of its own after a damning House ethics report revealed the depth of Santos's depravity, it wasn't hard to find the two-thirds of the House needed to send him packing. At the end of the day, the New York representative was voted out, get a load of this, 311 to 114, with 105 Republicans and all but four Democrats voting to give him the boot. I do want to point out, however, that there were some who wanted to keep the fraudster around, namely MAGA Mike Johnson, a.k.a. the new Speaker of the House. Third in line to the presidency. Can you imagine that this guy, third in line to the presidency, wanted to keep a fraudster, George Santos, around? And he wasn't alone. Conference chair, the evil Elise Stefanik, house whip, I mean, What's, what's his name? Um, Emmer and Majority Leader Steve Scalise? These assholes, these fucking assholes all voted to keep Santos in seat. The whole top tier of House Republicans voted to keep a liar and a cheat within their ranks. They also insist that the 2020 election was stolen and that Trump is the second coming. But honestly, it feels like the GOP is irredeemable at this point. Revelations that MAGA Mike is a white nationalist should surprise absolutely no one. This is who they are. 
I mean, James Carville said on Bill Maher's overtime segment that MAGA Mike and other Christian nationalists are a bigger threat to the country than Al-Qaeda. Carville went on to say, and I quote, people in the press have no idea who this guy is. This is a fundamental threat to the United States. It is a fundamental thing. They don't believe in the Constitution. Mike Johnson himself says, what is democracy is just two wolves and a lamb having lunch. I mean, that's what they really believe. They believe that the war in Gaza is part of a bigger plan that ends with Jews in Israel converting to Christianity. Yeah, that's right, before the end of the world, which they say is right around the corner, but before the end of the world, Jews will be for Jesus. Theocracy is a system of government in which priests or religious figures rule in the name of God. Like when Ayatollah Khomeini began the supreme religious leader of Iran in 1979, it turned the country back to the Stone Age. It's done damage that cannot be undone. And Mike Johnson might as well be the Ayatollah. His ambition is to lead a worldwide theocracy. This speaker believed that a depraved America deserves God's wrath. And he's just the guy to administer the punishment. So listen to me carefully here. We, we American citizens, cannot pretend that people are just some fringe element anymore. They are filling megachurches and PTA meetings. They are moms for liberty and right for lifers. Who are they? They are Trump's people and they are funded. It is our job. It is our job to keep calling them out and not bow to the pressure that their God wants to impose on us all, even if you're Christian. And as always, my friends, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is written by Paula Killen. Our managing producer and editor is Lisa Orkin. Mea Culpa is a Midas Touch podcast. Executive produced by the Midas Touch Network and LSJ Media Group. 